It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timp. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, March 4th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. As Russia moves into Ukraine and images surface of bombed out homes and apartment buildings, the number of refugees continues to climb as other Ukrainians vow to stay and fight. We don't know what will be tomorrow. I'm Chris Foster. Judge Katanji Jackson-Brown has been meeting with senators ahead of Supreme Court confirmation hearings this month. What we know is she's very methodical. Uh, she's obviously, uh, you know, very talented. She's uh, a lot of people think the world of her, but we really don't have much in terms of judicial philosophy. And I'm Charlie Hurt. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Images of bombed-out condo complexes and apartment buildings are filling social media, as the mayor of an area called Kherson said Russia has taken over successfully. It's just north of Crimea, which Russia took over in 2014. It's like a hell. <laughs> we don't know what to do. That's why we cross uh, to another country. More than a million Ukrainians have fled, becoming refugees. The International Criminal Court says they've launched an investigation into whether Russia officials are committing war crimes. This week, Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced additional sanctions on Russia's defense sector, saying they are focused on all of Russia's actions. We're taking account of it, we're documenting it, and we want to ensure, among other things, that there's accountability for it. Thursday, the Treasury Department announced new sanctions on dozens of Russian oligarchs. President Biden said ahead of a cabinet meeting Thursday that that included... One of Russia's wealthiest billionaires, and I'm... Uh, banning travel to America by, um, by more than 50 Russian oligarchs, their families, and their close associates. Earlier this week, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky said this. Our army is doing everything to fully break the enemy. Nearly 9,000 Russians have been killed in one week. Ukraine doesn't want to be covered by the dead bodies of soldiers. Go home. Fox's own Trey Yinkst in Kyiv was invited to meet with Zelensky this week with other foreign members of the press. He said that while they want additional support, they are thankful for the support they've received to date. While many have left Ukraine, Zelensky has not, and neither have many civilians who are staying behind to fight or help in whatever way they can. I stay in the city center, in the downtown, and I can hear explosions and all kind of noises of war. Zina Kukina lives and works in Ukraine's capital. And we have sirens all the time, which uh, when we hear it, we need to go to shelter. And they warn the population about the danger of the rockets or of the attacks. And in the city center, there were several cases of bombing during the week. And we uh, have the explosions all the time in different parts of the city. And suburbans are really attacked by the enemy. But we never know where the attack will come. And you said the suburban areas outside of Kiev are, are being attacked 
Yeah, the suburbans, uh, they suffered most of all. The whole day today, I was trying to get out my friends from those parts of the city because the buildings are ruined. Uh, there are a lot of families in shelters who can't get out of them now, and they don't know whom to address and how to get out of those parts of the city because there is no systematic help. We have a lot of volunteers and territory defense and troops, but they can't get out of the shelters at the moment. And after bombing, there are a lot of suffered families. So the, the suburbans uh, suffered uh, most of all for the moment. We saw pictures of like what you were talking about, like condo buildings, apartment buildings that were bombed out, like in um, Bordienka. I think is one place and um, yeah. another village called Gorenka, also outside of Kiev. When you hear the explosions and you see the images of these bombed out buildings, I mean, how how worried are you as you sit in Kiev that the Russians are just coming closer and closer to where you are? Uh, it's a very interesting feeling because uh, even though it's been a week, since the beginning of the war, but uh, we still can't believe that it's a reality. It's a total mess. I, I even can't find the words to describe it because none of us previously seen a war uh, by our own eyes. And it's Zina. really frightening. I'm sure. Zina, why did you decide to stay in Kyiv? <laughs> this is the question I'm asked every single day by many people. And the only answer I have is that it's my home. I, I assume you don't have children. If you had children, would you be, be leaving? Would your situation be different? May, uh, maybe. I think that if I have children, I would think about them firstly. But I have parents who are now in another Ukrainian city, which is also preparing for the attack. And my parents, I was asking them to leave, but they refused. They also stay in their hometown. And I understand, well, I'm a young person who can live anywhere in Europe or anywhere else in the world. I speak English, I can work anywhere. But for the moment, I understand that I can help here because this is the moment when uh, my people and my country needs the support and help of people. Zina, what are you doing to help? Are you armed right now? Do you have a, a firearm, a gun? I mean, what are you... Uh, no, 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 I, I don't have an arm. I can tell, for example, for today, since morning, I was contacting with uh, foreign uh, friends and uh, organizations that wants to help Ukraine with humanitarian aid. Then I was arranging the food for our territory defense. And all the things which are done for those who need help, you know, for those who suffered in the suburbans, who need logistics to uh, get out of those places, for those who need to get in some way to the border. So, you know, our people now are very active in helping the state and helping each other in every single problem which appears. Zina, if people did want to leave Kyiv, could they? Is it surrounded by Russian troops? Like, could people drive out or, or walk out of the city and, and uh, move west still? As of today, there is only one, one direction, which is free. And people can leave. 
But, well, today I got a message from my friend who was driving from Kiev in the um, northern direction. They left by car and they were shot by the tank. And they were shot out by a tank? Yeah, they were shot out and there were two families, one of which is dead. And uh, the second one is injured and it's not safe, actually. There is no green uh, corridor for those who leave. And if you leave, it's your responsibility and your risk to take the road and leave in your own way. You know one family that was injured and one family that was killed? Uh, yeah, he's the friend of my friends, but today my friend uh, sent me the message about the, the story that they they were trying to leave Kiev and they got in this trouble. Oh, my God. And, you know, the first day of the conflict, I had to stay at my friend's in the apartment. But then another family invited us. And in the morning, we woke up and it appeared that the building where we had to stay was bombed by the rocket. So it, the rocket was flying to the airport, but it missed and it flew in a building. So uh, you never know what is the main target. Zina, let me talk to you about the logistics and what's going on in the ground. We've heard that Russia mm -hmm. has taken over an area called Kherson. I think it's north of the Crimean area. As they move in to take certain parts, obviously this is one sort of large part, how concerned are you when you hear that the Russian army or the Russian troops have taken over more of Ukraine? And how confident are you right now in Ukraine's army and in Ukraine's own military? Well, as we all understand, uh, Russian is uh, even more than 10 times bigger than Ukraine with uh, all its population and its troops and military capacities. Despite all the weapon which was given to Ukraine from Europe, from uh, all other countries and international organizations, we're still not secure because uh, we understand that the enemy has its goal and it doesn't want to give it up. So we are not secure at all. And we can't even make any forecast because it's unpredictable, actually. We don't know what will, will be tomorrow. And yeah. um, there is the second round of negotiations, but we still don't know what is the uh, result. And I'm more than confident that there is no actual result of these negotiations for the population. Zina, um, President Zelensky has asked for more air support and a no-fly zone. It doesn't look like a no-fly zone is happening anytime soon because I guess the thinking is that would drag other countries likely into you know direct conflict with Russia. But do you think it will get to that point that Western countries will end up being more engaged in this conflict? Like, what is your sense of the future and other countries participating? I don't think that uh, the countries will engage for 100% because it will mean that it's like a world war if everyone will take part in a full in this conflict. So I think it's a big step for the Western world to be engaged in this conflict in full. 
it would mean that they take part in the war. Now we have a great support, which it seems to me that it's unprecedented support from the Western world. But anyway, it's uh, not the um, it's still the conflict uh, between Ukraine and Russia. Zina, one one more question for you. Um, you referenced it. There there was another round of talks in Belarus. It sounds like nothing really concrete has come out of it. But again, Russia said Ukraine has to declare it will not join NATO. Do you want President Zelensky to just do that? To just say, okay, we won't join NATO. Or do you want Ukraine to keep fighting? If you ask me on the first day of the confrontation, I will would definitely tell you I, I will beg for all this mess to stop because it's very frightening when you hear all this bombing outside your street. But now I understand that um, we don't have any other way than to keep fighting. Because if we um, accept the Russian conditions, it, it would mean that we would become the part of this country with this government and uh, with its rules. And I don't think that our president and our government is ready after all those, uh, I think, small wins that they already had, uh, attained, that they are ready to become the part of, of Russia. Zina, um, Zina, thank you so much for your time. We are thinking of everybody there and we just want you to stay safe. Thank you very much. I hope this will end uh, soon and <laughs> every one of us will come back to our normal life and to our plans that we had before this nightmare. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Charlie Hurt with your Fox News commentary coming up. Confirmation hearings for President Biden's Supreme Court nominee Katanji Jackson Brown are scheduled to start March 21st, two weeks from this coming Monday. She would fill the seat opening with Judge Stephen Breyer's retirement this summer. The members of the Senate will decide if I fill your seat, but please know that I could never fill your shoes. President Biden says Judge Jackson deserves to be considered promptly and fairly. She cares about making sure that our democracy works for the American people. She listens. She looks people in the eye, lawyers, defendants, victims and families. She strives to ensure that everyone understands why she made a decision. In addition to being the first black woman Supreme Court justice, Katanji Jackson would be the first Floridian on the court. She grew up in Miami, went to Harvard and Harvard Law and clerked for Justice Breyer. She worked to change federal sentencing guidelines during the Obama administration, was appointed to the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia nine years ago by President Obama, and was appointed last year by President Biden to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, considered the second most powerful court in the country. So she has experience, but not a thick record of opinions relevant to the new job. 
the record is long, but rather thin. You know, the the judge has been on the court for a number of years, but this is not a nomination coming from an appellate court. Jonathan Turley is a Fox News contributor, a law professor at George Washington University, an attorney and legal scholar. And so the vast majority of these opinions are the type of opinions you see from trial judges. They resolve rather insular issues of evidence or outcomes at trial. Uh, they're not the type of, of decisions that you can glean a lot about her judicial philosophy. There are a couple of those uh, and that go into more depth, and she has one, a, a single appellate decision. But we're still a little bit unclear as to what her judicial philosophy is. The White House and many liberal groups appear quite confident. You know, uh, President Biden said that he wanted someone who would take an expansive view of unenumerated rights. And these groups have argued for someone who believes in a sort of living constitutional approach, a very broad interpretation of the Constitution. They seem confident uh, that she fits that model. The problem is that when the judge came up for her appellate nomination, she was asked whether she adhered to a living constitution approach. Um, She refused to answer that question and said that uh, it would be inappropriate for her to do so because she's not allowed to have a different methodology than the Supreme Court. That left all of us rather perplexed because judges have answered that question. But more importantly, you're required to follow precedent. No one says you can't have your own judicial philosophy. And then the final reason is that when she came up as a district court judge, she had no trouble in saying no to that question. So she previously did answer that question. You know, that's going to come up in, in the confirmation hearing. Yeah, it sure will. Uh, it used to be they'd take, I don't know, a couple months to, to you know sit down with her, to do some vetting, to just get their ducks in a row. Um, now, the Senate, with the Democrats of a you know, razor-thin ma- uh, majority, they want to get this done as soon as possible. Yeah, this is a NASCAR pace of a nomination. And, you know, the the interesting thing is that the Democrats seem quite adamant that Judge Jackson should not get the confirmation hearing they gave to Judge Barrett. Uh, You know, Judge Barrett's uh, confirmation hearing was really outrageous. I mean, the Democrats uh, openly insulted her. They surrounded her with uh, with pictures of people that were that were going to be victimized if she was confirmed because they said that she was going she was being put on the court for the purpose of striking down the Affordable Care Act. And at the time, I, I said vociferously that is completely and absolutely untrue that the case in front of the Supreme Court had very little chance of overturning the ACA. And moreover, I thought that she was more likely to vote to keep the ACA, at least in that case. That's exactly what she did. Um, and Well, and she was also a victim of the, the politics of the time and the timing of the time with, um, with not much left, with not much time left to get her through. So, so the Democrats obviously wanted to play that up. 
Well, but also the Democrats really crossed the Rubicon with Judge Barrett. I wrote a couple opinions that there was that the Democrats went further than uh, certainly any modern confirmation I could think of. They demanded that she say how she would vote on issues like Roe v. Wade. Uh, They stated that they would vote against her solely because of her judicial philosophy. And I wrote at the time that they've created a type of Barrett rule uh, that, you know, it is now appropriate to demand answers according to that process of how a, a, a justice was likely to vote on issues like Roe. And it was also stated by many of the Democratic senators that judicial philosophy alone, even if you are extremely well qualified, as was Barrett, uh, would make you ineligible for confirmation. So the question is, the Democrats now seem to be saying that would be inappropriate. And various groups that attack Barrett on her judicial philosophy are now insisting that questions about Jackson's judicial philosophy are really out of bounds. Um, three, when she was confirmed last year to, to the D.C. Circuit Court, three Republicans voted for her. It was um, Collins, Murkowski, and Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham now says he's a no vote. Um, he's accusing President Biden of being influenced by the far left. I mean, obviously, there were there are further left judges that he could have chosen. Uh, there are other conservatives who say, no, she's a completely reasonable pick. Yeah, I mean, that's why it'll be interesting about this confirmation process. Uh, you know, the if they follow the Barrett example, they'll be asking her rather pointed questions about her judicial philosophy. I expect that she will, uh, again, uh, while not refusing to answer entirely, I think that she's very likely to uh, be limited in what she's uh, going to say. Uh, the the issue of voting for someone for an appellate court and then differently on before the Supreme Court is something that both parties have done. Um, that this is not the first time senators of both parties have uh, said that they treat the Supreme Court differently um, when a nominee comes up, uh, because obviously this is a much more enhanced uh, and lofty position. Um, is there a process for uh, for practicing? Um, uh, they hold the candidates hold mock debates. Are there mock uh, Q&A sessions for uh, for Supreme Court nominees? Yeah, there are types of murder boards that are sometimes uh, used. The nominees are given uh, a lot of material by the White House team. It also involves outside counsel often who volunteer to help a nominee. So these are very practiced answers. Uh, and you'll see that. I expect that, that Judge Jackson will stay close to the script, as have previous nominees. Uh, the biggest difference is is really that this is coming so soon after the Barrett nomination. So there's going to be a lot of comparisons. Barrett did talk about her judicial philosophy. Uh, She talked about how she has originalist views and how she approaches the Constitution. Um, It was remarkably detailed and frank. Uh, So if that's the comparison, you may have Republican senators saying, well, we want the same openness from you. 
because our colleagues said that judicial philosophy alone can be the basis to vote against a nominee. Now, part of the concern for the Republicans is really there's a balancing here, right? You've got the first um, potential uh, African-American woman for the court that has historic meaning. It, it makes this a very important historical confirmation process. On the other hand, you don't want to be one of two or three Republicans voting for a justice if she does prove to be uh, to the far left. And, you know, particularly in this environment, uh, that could also come back to haunt you. So it's a difficult position for these senators to be in. Yeah, it certainly is a little more fraught. You, no matter no matter what happens, uh, any tough questioning, somebody is going to call somebody a racist. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's already started, which is really bizarre. You know, I wrote a piece that said I thought rather uncontroversially saying that, you know, we have a thin record of actual opinions when it comes to her judicial philosophy. That seems abundantly obvious. You know, she's been a trial judge. She has to follow the precedent of the D.C. Circuit and the precedent of the Supreme Court. So it's not surprising that we don't have a lot of opinions to look at. I don't know anyone who is really Really said that we have a very good idea of her philosophy. What we know is she's very methodical. Uh, she's obviously, uh, you know, very talented. She's uh, a lot of people think the world of her, but we really don't have much in terms of judicial philosophy. But that column sort of triggered this, this tsunami from the left saying you would never ask this of a male or white nominee, which is really hilarious, because if you go back, I've covered almost 30 years of Supreme Court nominees and every single one of them. I had this column and many of them, I said, we, we just don't have much of a record. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's also you have a nominee who declined to talk about her judicial philosophy. So it's it's all rather bizarre. But you're going to see that sort of hair triggered response that you referred to. Yeah. Um, she would be the second youngest current justice behind Barrett. Barrett's 50. Uh, Judge Jackson is 51. Um, any possible dynamic shifts there or is it really just impossible? Is that an impossible question to answer? Well, you know, the nominees are getting younger and younger. You know, presidents are trying to uh, guarantee their legacy by simple weight of numbers. Uh, it's an unfortunate trend, quite frankly. Um, that should not be the overriding consideration, but it is hugely important. Now, in favor of uh, Judge Jackson, I will note that she has many um, things in her background that I really like. I mean, yes, she is young, but she has a lot of years of experience on the court. Um, I like the fact that she was a trial judge. Um, that really is an experience that is fairly rare on the court. I also really like that she was a public defender. You know, it, that, it, that is exceptionally rare. But then finally, I like the fact that she's walked the walk. She has litigation experience. It's, it's often the case that, you know, when you hear some of the justices talk, it's pretty clear they haven't done a lot of, of litigation. And a lot of litigators often complain about that. Trial judges complain that the Supreme Court seems often out of touch with the realities of trials. So this, that's going to be a nice addition to the court. Jonathan Turley, I hope you can keep some time open for us uh, when this thing really gets moving. Fox News contributor, professor at George Washington University, legal scholar. Jonathan Turley, thanks again. It's my great pleasure. Thank you. From the 
Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Charlie Hurt. Charlie Hurt. What's on your mind? Welcome to the first war of the Green New Deal. This is what happens when rabid environmental zealots leading our government neuter American energy and independence and hand global power over to rapacious tyrants hell-bent on taking over the world. Since President Biden's first day in office, he has made it his chief goal to weaken the United States to the point that we are now dependent upon Russia for oil, the very lifeblood on which the world still runs. The punishing gas prices you see at the pump today are not an unfortunate consequence, but the very intentional purpose of Mr. Biden's policies. If you rely on the only viable form of transportation in America today, then you deserve to be punished. For true environmental zealots, the Obama administration was a failure. When he came into office in 2008, gas prices were touching $4 a gallon. By the time he left office eight years later, they were down near $2 a gallon primarily because of the boon in natural gas technologies. When Mr. Biden got back into the White House, he and the zealots around him were determined not to repeat Mr. Obama's mistakes. They went full jihad on American energy independence. Surprising almost no one, Mr. Biden's dangerous anti-American energy policies led directly to Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Mr. Biden's policies not only weakened America, but they also enriched Mr. Putin. And since we are now reliant upon Mr. Putin's oil for daily survival, the U.S. is actually bankrolling the invasion of Ukraine, all in the name of rabid Green New Deal environmentalism. The only person who admitted to being surprised by this tragic turn of events was Mr. Biden's environmental mullah, John Kerry, who also happens to be the only person in Washington dumber than Mr. Biden. As Ukrainians were being slaughtered by Russian troops, Mr. Kerry was alarmed over the invasion for other reasons. It could have a profound negative impact on the climate, obviously. He groaned through a face deadened by too much Botox. You have a war, and obviously you're going to have massive emissions consequences to the war. Just when you thought these people could not get any dumber, the Biden administration dispatched its spokeswoman Jen Psaki to explain things. Oil is the problem, she explained on Sunday as hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian women and children fled their country of the war she helped enable. We need to look at other ways of having energy in our country, she explained. In other words, more windmills, fairy dust, and unicorn farts. This may be the world's first Green New Deal war, but as long as people like Jen Psaki, John Kerry, and Joe Biden are allowed anywhere near our government, it will not be the last. I'm Charlie Hurt. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.